Hello and welcome to Finding My Voice, episode 12. So this is the first time that it's been a full week before my last episode and I felt a little weird not doing an episode, but hey, we're going to get used to this and we can get through this. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about my character process and in order to keep my structure going and talk about my transition and personal development, that works really well because I use role playing and acting for my personal development. And so I'll start with talking about how being trans and severely dysphoric, I think, helped my acting technique. I've studied a few different techniques, and um, I'm not going to go into the technicalities of any one technique, but there's one specific thing about uh, certain Stanislavskian branches. All right, sorry, I'm not going to teach you about Stanislavski, but some naturalistic psychological acting that being trans really helped with. Uh, One of the things is called um, uh, body definition and sense data in certain techniques. And basically that means you superimpose the imagination you've designed around your character with the sensory input from your sensory organs. And I guess you could say you fool yourself into believing what's happening to your character is happening to you. So it's real. You're tricking yourself to believe what's happening in the fake acting world is happening for real. It's a really fascinating thing to do. And I know it sounds like magic to some people. And yeah, this is actually a fun story. I'm not going to do all of it, but there is something called, I think they call it shifting. And it's a practice where people say that they travel to, to different worlds in their mind. They're not, obviously, but I've checked out some of the techniques they're using and, and they're doing something similar to this. It's kind of like a self-induced psychosis. It's possible but yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> you want to do it right. Acting, really good acting is like this. You trick yourself into believing it's real. And that's what role playing can be to me. Of course, there's always going to be uh, like a part of you that knows it's all fake. But the smaller that part is, the better the acting's going to be. And I just love that. So before I talk too much about the same thing, um, I want to say how being trans helped me. You see, one of the biggest obstacles to letting your designed reality override the one your sensory organs are giving your brain is the ability to let go of the here and now. The ability to let go of the security of the body definition your brain is experiencing in the moment. Because to most people, there's a lot of security tied to the reality around you that you know. But having grown up with severe dysphoria, where I felt that everything about my body has been wrong. Obviously, this wasn't so bad when I was very young. Uh, it got it got worse during puberty. But I've had dysphoria that's actually so bad that, that my brain knows what kind of body it should be expecting. And that's not the input it's getting. So sometimes I would even, like when I'm ha- I was half asleep, I would actually have moments where I experienced the correct body just for it to fade away once the sensory organs was giving me the physical reality. So so what I'm trying to get at is that I've never had a sense of security in the sensory input my brain gets uh, in terms of body definition, which means it's really easy for me to let it go <laughs> because it's a vacation. 
Um, so with a lot of actors who haven't had dysphoria, they have to do a lot of practice in order to let go of their current reality and let the, the, uh, the character's reality sink in. For me, it's the easiest thing in the world. My brain's going, oh, finally, I couldn't wait to get rid of that stupid body definition. Now, this is real. Um, so, yes, in those terms, dysphoria actually helped me become a better actor once I realized how to utilize it. And this also applies in role-playing, because I do kind of the same technique. Now, there's a lot of things that place in to using a technique like this uh, in order to build a picture in your head that superimposes what the brain experiences for real. You have to include everything that a real image does, um, like what you're experiencing, like what you can see. You know what the room looks like and you know what the way out of the room is. You know what it smells like. You have taste in your mouth from your previous meal. Uh, and and you have the sensory uh, input from the way your shoes feel. Is the floor hard or is it like a softer kind of wooden floor? Like there's a lot of things. And the more of these things you can have in your designed reality, your imagination, the easier it's going to be for your brain to accept it as real. So if you want to really get into your character, you need proper memories to, to, to keep your character there. And these memories have to include the sensory input, a first person image of what it was like. Um, if, if you're playing someone in a medieval village, right? Okay. Um, and you remember when your brother climbed a tree and you were laughing at him, right? And you want to have this memory in your head. And you got to think of, okay, what's behind me? Let's see, okay, the, the well is behind me. That's where I go get water every day. And around the corner over that, over that hill, that's where we live. I, if I want to if I want to get home really fast, I have to run over the hill, but then I'll be tired. I can go around, it takes a little longer. Like, like my memory is about watching my brother climb, but I have to have all these other things in my head. What does my dress feel like? Um, how often do I wash it? Like, uh, what quality is it? What do we eat every day? Did we eat better this morning than usual? Like all these little things. What do the flowers smell like this time of year? And, and like, what am I expecting the weather to be like? All these little things should be present in my head when I build this memory. That's when the brain can feel like, yep, yeah, this is real. And of course, this is a lot of work to do while you're role-playing. So this is all done in preparation. You build a good detailed backstory. Now I know not everyone likes to build a backstory before you play and that's valid. Uh, I'm just talking about the way I play. I like to have a a strong backstory when I start. I mean I know some people do like to build the backstory while they're playing and that's exciting I guess to see watch something grow and some of that exists for me as well obviously. Just because I have a big backstory doesn't mean it doesn't develop as I go along. Things fill in just like in real life. When you think about your past, sometimes you remember things you didn't remember previously. Um, but yes, I like to have a big fleshed out backstory. And remember, even though I like a lot of memories in my backstories, the quality of the memories is, is more important than the quantity. If, if you have three good memories where all the sense data is intact, that's, a worth, that's worth a lot more than 50 memories that are just haphazard. And the way, the reason I can do it very easily is the fact that I just enjoy it. Like, yeah, I spend hours in a day just, just imagining the life of the characters I play, uh, imagining my body language as the character and what I've seen, 
just replaying the memories in my head, just taking a vacation from reality into that world. And so when I roleplay, that comes in naturally. I don't have to think about what my character would do. I just feel it and do it. And as I do it, I get the sensation. Sometimes I can actually smell the campfire. I can feel the body definition. If I play less human characters, I can actually feel, like when I play Alvhild, I can feel the wolf ears and the wolf tail wagging, you know, when I'm happy. Um, that's what happens when you're really, really deep into character. And it's just so incredibly lovely. Uh, but for me, that requires that I have a fleshed out backstory. It doesn't have to be super long, but I do like it to be a page or two at least. And every part of it has a vivid picture in my head. Uh, I'm going to introduce a new character that I am going to play next year in the game uh, Vassen, which is uh, based on an art book uh, called Nordiske Vassen. Um, it's released by Free League, uh, the, um, the role-playing game is. And it's about uh, mysteries and... 1800s Sweden concerning folklore and I just love the world um, and it's gonna be lovely to play and I've rolled a character uh, named Ingelil and she's a medium and I've written a backstory um, that I'm going to have in my head as I'm playing and I'd just like to introduce that I'm gonna read the backstory in character and if you have any questions about her I'll answer those in character. Remember, I haven't started playing her yet, so I don't have any playing experience with her, but I do have the backstory, and there might be questions for that, or my other characters, obviously. So, let's see. <clears throat> uh, I've never played her before, so this is the first time I'm going to hear her voice. I'm just going to put my, myself in her shoes and start talking as Ingalil. I grew up in a loving family. My name, though it is Ingelil Sivstotter, it wasn't always that. And I must ask you to not speak of this to anyone. It's not, it's not a state-level secret, but it's a bit of a scandal, really. Um, I wasn't always named Sivstotter. I grew up in the family Uxenjana, which is a noble family, very wealthy. My mother, Sieve, and my father, Sebastian, and my two older brothers, Adrian and Aaron. We lived very well with servants and, and a big mansion in Uppsala. And I was known in my family and among my relatives as the one with the lively imagination. And I really wish that had been the case. You see, I had friends I played with that no one else could see. Some of them were sad and they needed comforting. Some of them were afraid and, and some of them were angry. The angry ones I tried to stay away from. My family always laughed at me when I talked to them about my friends, but mother appreciated what she called my creative spirit. She believed it meant that I was to become a great writer and she started teaching me about literature. Uh, she read Shakespeare to me and everybody enjoyed my imaginary friends. 
Something started to feel off, though. There was something in the air. Something cold. In the winter we had the fires going and we were always warm inside, but there was a different kind of cold. My imaginary friends seemed to be getting anxious and afraid. And one day I tried to investigate to see what was actually going on. I think I was about 12 at this time. I felt a presence. Something trying desperately to be heard. And then all of a sudden it was like floating in a cold, dark void in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how long, but eventually I woke tied to my bed. It hurt my wrists and I could smell smoke and blood. There was a priest over me, yelling at me in Latin. Mother was crying at the foot of the bed and father was holding my brothers in the doorway. I was told later that I had been possessed and the priest had performed an exorcism to save my soul. The house was wrecked. <laughs> I had destroyed so many things and I had no memory of it. People were bruised, bloodied, but the priest assured us that I was fine and and whatever had done the thing that happened was gone. But nothing was ever the same. No one. Not family, not the help. Could, could look me in the eyes. Mother couldn't even be in the same room with me without crying. I tried desperately to get close to her again, but there was a wall there. She was afraid of me. Eventually, it just got too much for her. One day, she was gone. Father said she was on a journey. She was out traveling, and he did not know when she would be back. And after that, it got worse. My brothers were both angry and afraid of me. I often heard them wishing for my death so that mother would want to come back. Father would pretend that I didn't even exist. I couldn't handle it. Before I turned 14, I ran away from home. I managed to bring a vial of mother's perfume with me. Feeling the scent of her perfume before bed made things a little easier out there on my own. I would beg and shine shoes. Sometimes I was paid to to feed livestock like hens and pigs for people. And eventually I learned that the friends I'd been playing with as a child were ghosts, dead people. It was a terrible thing to realize, but somehow it was a relief to finally understand what was going on. There are people who'd pay to speak to their dead relatives. And sometimes I could help a restless spirit or two to find peace 
most of the time it just suffices to to leave a message for one of the loved ones or, or just help someone find out what happened. There are others like me. A kind old lady named Gunbori taught me to make a powder out of ram's horn. It can amplify my ability to speak to the dead. It's unpleasant. It hurts. I think it has adverse effects on my health. But sometimes when I need more reliable contact, I use it because for that kind of contact with the with the deceased, some people are willing to pay a lot. I need to be very careful with using the powder though. I worry that it feels like it can give the dead more power over me than I am comfortable with giving them, especially after my experience with the possession. But, you know, I have to think about my expenses. Now I'm actually paying rent. Sometimes I have to take the risk. I'm renting the loft of the cobbler, Stur Arvidsson. He's a kind old man. Uh, he gets confused. And sometimes simple household tasks are difficult for him. I help him out when I can, and he keeps my shoes and boots in good shape. He doesn't charge me that much for the rent. I think mostly he's lonely. His wife, Magdalena, is still there, though she passed on many years ago. I speak to her sometimes. She doesn't want me to tell him she's there. He thinks she is in heaven, and she would like him to continue to believe that. She's satisfied just watching over him and telling me in what way I can best be of help to him when he needs it the most. It's now been six years since I left home and took the name Sivstotter instead of Oxenstierna. And yes, I'm sure you figured out Sivstotter, that's my mother's name with a daughter added to it. One day I will have gathered enough money to travel so that I can find mother. I don't know why, really. I miss her and I would like to believe she'd be happy to see me, but in my nightmares I am afraid to discover that she hates me as much as my brothers do. I hired an investigator to find her. It cost me all my savings, but he gave that money back when he told me that he could not find any trace of my mother and he seemed ashamed. I think he's a good man. But before I can get anywhere with this, I have to learn more about why I am the way I am. Why me? Gunboys told me that she expects me to one day be able to see glimpses of the future because of my condition and 
perhaps even with the help of the ram's horn. I'm curious, but also terrified about what it might mean to see the future. I can barely handle the present, the here and now. I think that's where I'm going to have to start. I tend to capture the moment when I speak to the dead using what I learned from mother about literature. It seems to resonate with them when I'm being creative. This sonnet is how I usually make contact. Place with thy presence do me grace. Thy path been walked from dust to dust, as kings and beggars all do face the same fate as the rest of us. Among us still thy spirit be, in sorrow, vengeance, or regret. No beating heart still cannot see God's grace or devil's fire yet. The living here are asking for thy voice to cross that dreaded line. So speak now, friend, and live once more, the heart within this breast be thine. Now to my flesh I give thee lease. Take care of it, I am begging, please. All right, I had not planned for how long I was going to go on, so I have to stop myself at some point, and it might as well be there. <laughs> so, okay, that was the first time I actually ever gave voice to Ingalil, and um, I might actually work on it. I listen. I, I, I don't think about the voice of my characters, as I've said. I just play them and feel them. Um, it might grow and develop a bit. This was fun. And I would like to hear your opinions on the character and on the voice. This is about finding my voice after all. And please, I'd like to talk to you about how you create characters and how you get into character. Do you ever experience this physical transformation as I described? If you haven't, would you like to? I could talk more about that, give more pointers and hints on how to do that. Because um, that's part of what makes role-playing great for me. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've realized by now that this ability made role-playing a great tool for me to, to live with my dysphoria because I could take a literal vacation from the body that paints me or has pained me. It's getting better now because I'm, I'm, I'm on hormones and eventually I will, <laughs> like Ingalil, eventually I will have the funds I need to do all the stuff I want to do. Um, right, okay, so... Please ask Ingrid a question or another character I've spoken about, or uh, just drop me a line. If you hear this on uh, a podcast uh, app or something, you can always find this podcast on queencatus.com, which is my blog. Um, if I talk about like an artwork or something, uh, that's where you, I put it, and you can uh, you can put a comment on my blog to contact me if you have nowhere else. Although, let's be honest, most people listen to this because they know me, then just message me on Discord or whatever. All right. Uh, I guess that's it for this week's Finding My Voice. Have a great day, everyone.